0: Well, this morning we are in 2 Kings chapter 1. 2 Kings chapter 1, uh, next week will be the last sermon on the life of Elijah as we see the end of the life of Elijah. But today we will be in 2 Kings chapter 1, but beginning in the very last few verses of 1 Kings. Uh, The last time we were together, we talked about the end of the life of Ahab. And how what seemed to be a random arrow directed by the Lord to land exactly where it needed to land in order to kill Ahab. In his rebellion against the Lord, the, will, the Lord had willed his life to be over, and it was. And what we see here in the next section is his son, Ahaziah, coming to reign after him. And the reign of Ahaziah is going to be very short. But his life in his kingdom is described in First Kings twenty-two fifty-one through fifty-three, and it is said that he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and specifically that he walked in the way of his father and of his mother. Who were his father and mother? Ahab and Jezebel, two of the wicked characters of the Bible. and He walked after the way of his parents and lived as they did in their example, in their example of wickedness and idolatry and deception and greed and murder and violence, and this is the same way in which their son walked. And so I would like to take just a moment to talk about this and the blessing that it is to have Christian-believing parents that walk before their young people that they might follow after them in a different example. Myself and my wife, we are tremendously thankful for the Christian-believing parents that raised us, that walked before us. As imperfect as they are, they walked in godliness before us, and they strove to be live a godly example before us in love and in prayer and in character and in Bible truth and in generosity, and I am so thankful for that, that I can walk after them. I don't have to go in a totally different direction. I go after the way that they walked, and I want to tell you this morning, if you have children, the greatest gift that you can give to your children is walking before them in a life of godliness, Parents want to give to their children all kinds of different things. They want to give them materially good things. They want to give them a good life. They want to give them a good education. They want to give them all kinds of things because they love them. But don't lose sight of the most important thing that you can possibly give to your children is to walk before them in godliness, that they might see Christ at work in your life and follow in those footsteps that they themselves might walk in the ways of the Lord. It is a tremendous gift. But this is not what Ahaziah saw, and this is not what Ahaziah did. It says here in verse 53 that he served Baal and worshipped him. He was not in name only. We'll see here in a minute. In the life and death crisis situations, he went to this idol. And the last verse there at the end of 1 Kings it says that this action provoked the Lord. It provoked the Lord to anger. That's a powerful word, a pointed word, and we understand what it means to provoke someone. It means that we know what button to push to drive them crazy, and we go in and intentionally we keep pushing that button, keep trying to get a rise out of that person, and it is not wise to do that with the Lord. And this is what Ahaziah does. He knows that God has sent prophet after prophet to denounce Baal as a false god, and yet he continues to worship him. Romans 8, 31 and 32 says that if God is for us, who can be against us? His favor will overcome every evil and drive out every fear. But if we look at the contrary of that, if God is provoked against us, who can possibly bless us? Who can come in and bless where the Lord has declared disaster. If the wrath of God is kindled against us, we will be consumed by His holy judgment. And so it is important that we see this backdrop. This is the king that we're talking about in this story. So let's now read from 2 Kings chapter 1. I would ask you to please stand uh, to honor the Lord as we read His word. 2 Kings chapter 1. After the death of Ahab, Moab rebelled against Israel. Now Ahaziah fell through the lattice in his upper chamber in Samaria and lay sick. So he sent messengers telling them, Go, inquire of Baalzebub, the god of Ekron, whether I shall recover from this sickness. But the angel of the Lord said to Elijah the Tishbite, Arise, go up to meet the messengers of the king of Samaria and say to them, Is it because there is no god in Israel that you are going to inquire of Baalzebub, the god of Ekron? Now therefore... Thus says the Lord, you shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone, but you shall surely die. So Elijah went. The messengers returned to the king, and he said to them, why have you returned? And they said to him, there came a man to us, to meet us, and said to us, go back to the king who sent you, and say to him, thus says the Lord, it is because there's, is it because there is no God in Israel that you are sending to inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron? Therefore, you shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. And he said to them, what kind of man was he who came to meet you and told you these things? And they answered him, he wore a garment of hair and a belt of leather about his waist. And he said, it is Elijah, the Tishbite. Then the king sent to him a captain of 50 with his 50. And he went up to Elijah, who was sitting on the top of the hill and said to him, O man of God, the king says, come down. But Elijah answered the captain of fifty. If I am a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your fifty. Then fire came down from heaven and consumed him and his fifty. Again, the king sent to him another captain of fifty with his fifty. And he answered and said to him, O man of God, this is the king's order. Come down quickly. But Elijah answered him, If I am a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your fifty. Then the fire of God came down from heaven and consumed him and his fifty. And again, the king sent a captain, uh, a third, uh, a fifty, with his fifty. And the third captain of fifty went up and came and fell on his knees before Elijah and entreated him, O man of God, please let my life and the life of these fifty servants of yours be precious in your sight. Behold, fire came down from heaven and consumed the two former captains of fifty men with their fifty. But now, let my life be precious in your sight. Then the angel of the Lord said to Elijah, go down with him and do not be afraid of him. So he arose and went down with him to the king and said to him, thus says the Lord, because you have sent messengers to inquire of Beelzebub, the king of Ekron, the the God of Ekron, is it because there is no God in Israel to acquire of of his word? Therefore you shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. So he died according to the word of the Lord that Elijah had spoken Jehoram became the king in his place in the second year of Jehoram, the son of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, because Ahaziah had no son. Now the rest of the acts of Ahaziah that he did, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Israel? May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Please be seated. Okay, so we have uh, an interesting story, one that's full of all kinds of, of things for us to learn about the Lord and his actions and his works this morning. So we have Ahaziah, son of Ahab, falls through the lattice in his house. We don't know what that means, but somehow or another, he misstepped and fell off, and he's injured himself so badly that he's certain, he's, he feels like he's going to die. And he has, whoever he could appeal to for help is not being able to help him. And so he is beyond the help of others. He is desperate. He is fearful. He is facing death. And so what does he do? Well, part of this passage is a reminder That every one of us are but a misstep away from falling in some way that could kill us. All it takes is one person texting when they should be looking at the road and bam, you get T-boned and you're in the hospital and facing this same situation. We are all but a moment away from an injury that could take us to death's door. And it is reasonable to believe that the nearness of death has affected almost every single person in this congregation. Whether it is you having come face to face with the reality of the possibility of your own death, or someone that is near to you that has died and has brought very near to you the reality of what it means for someone to pass into eternity. And if not death, everyone in this congregation has dealt in some way with a life-altering, desperate struggle where things were out of your hands and you knew they were out of your hands and you felt powerless. Sometimes it's a financial struggle. Sometimes it's dealing with addiction. Whatever it may be, you know I need help from somebody else because I cannot deal with this. I've done everything I can and I cannot fix the situation. Some circumstances that were beyond your ability to fix. And this is a central part of this passage. Who do you turn to when things are beyond what you can handle? You've done everything you can do, and the the walls are still closing in. Who are you going to reach out to? Amen. Jesus Christ is the answer. You're giving the answer away. So we're going to get there in just a moment. That is the right answer. But people don't often turn to Christ. Uh, sometimes he's the last or never turn to him. Who do people often turn to? Our world is pressing you as hard as possible to turn further into yourself. Our world is lying to you and telling you, oh, it, it's, the answers are there. If you just work hard enough, try hard enough, want hard enough, you can get anything you want. You can be anything you want. You can go anywhere you want. You can solve any problem in yourself. I'm telling you that that is a lie. It is not the truth. You are not God yourself. You do not have infinite strength, power, resources. Your resources will run out, and you will not be able to accomplish the desperate thing in your life, whatever it may be. And it drives us beyond ourselves. What is the number one competitor in our time for God? I personally believe that it's government. Most people will turn to government. They'll reject God, but they know they need something bigger than themselves. So what's bigger than myself that has more power and more resources? What's more government? Well, hopefully you'll call before 4.30, because after 4.30, no one will answer the phone, because it's a faceless bureaucracy. And government has a role and a place, but it is certainly not the place of God. And it is certainly not calling out in desperate times of need. But many people put their faith in government. Some people do exactly what we see in this passage here today. They turn to a false god. They turn to a false system of meditation or something that really revolves around them reflecting on their own heart because there's no actual power there. Other people turn to credit. When they have some great desperate situation, instead of calling out to the Lord, it's yet another credit line, it's yet another credit card, it's something else where you are grasping out to try to solve the situation desperately yourself instead of going to the Lord. And I would say the last is the category of professionals. I I struggle with this one because I'll have people come to me with clearly spiritual issues, issues that relate to the heart and to the soul, which the Bible speaks to very clearly. And they'll say, can you refer me to a professional, whatever professional that may be? Do you know what makes someone a professional? It means they went to college and they got a degree and they gave them a piece of paper. And so you tell me like which, which school is accredited enough to help you solve the issues of your soul. Well, there is no, the only school is the school of Christ, Jesus, as has been mentioned earlier. Professionals have their place, but when we come to the desperate end of the road issues of our life, we must not call out to professionals thinking that they will be able to fix what only God can fix. And so there is a line there, and this line in this passage, this man is lying on his bed thinking that he is dying And I'm asking you, when you are in that desperate situation, who are you calling out to? Because who you call out to in the most desperate times of your life reveals what is truly going on in your heart. When your life is pressed and squeezed by the things of life, what comes out is what is truly inside of your heart. And so the true believing Christian, first and foremost, calls out to the Lord, God, have mercy. Help me in this time. And the Lord comes and helps those who call upon his name. But Ahaziah does not do that. He goes and inquires of Beelzebub. He seeks to understand what is going on in his life through this false god. Now, You should be aware of this if you've been reading or have been here at church lately. In 1 Kings 18, I preached about Mount Carmel and the the encounter up there. If you've never read that, I encourage you to go read it or go back and listen to that sermon where it is not possible for any false god to be more discredited than Baal is on that occasion. He is shown to be completely false. Elijah himself up on the mountain mocking these prophets of Baal, shout louder, maybe he's asleep. Maybe he's traveling. Maybe he's in the bathroom. But he says in verse 29, the prophets of Baal raved on until the time of the offering of the ablation. But there was no voice and no one answered and no one paid attention because it's a false God. And this is what Ahaziah is calling out to. And this is what provokes the Lord. Why will these people not stop calling out to this false God? And so I want to read you a passage from Jeremiah, Jeremiah 32, which is later on in the history of Israel, where the people continue generation after generation to fall in these same ways and call out to these same false gods. And the Lord says this through Jeremiah, Jeremiah 32, 26 through 34, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too hard for me? Therefore, thus says the Lord Behold, I am giving this city into the hands of the Chaldeans and into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and he shall capture it. And the Chaldeans who are fighting against this city shall come and set the city on fire and burn it, with the houses on whose roofs offerings have been made to Baal. And drink offerings have been poured out to other gods to provoke me to anger. For the children of Israel and the children of Judah have done nothing but evil in my sight from their youth. The children of Israel have done nothing but provoke me to anger by the works of their hands, declares the Lord. This city has aroused my anger and wrath from the day it was built to this day so that I will remove it from my sight because of all the evil of the children of Israel and the children of Judah. And they did to provoke me to anger their kings, their officials, their priests, and their prophets, the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. They have turned to me their back and not their face. And though I have taught them persistently, they have not listened to receive instruction. They set up their abominations in the house that is called by my name to defile it. And so it's a powerful illustration of the people over and over and over provoking the Lord. And he gives the illustration of them turning their back to the Lord and stopping up their ears that they might not listen to what he has to say. We see this with children. We know when we call out to a child... If they are listening to us, they do what? They, they turn to us, and they look us in the face, and they listen to us because they are ready to receive instruction. If they are rebellious, then they keep their back to us, and they pretend they don't hear us, and they run away in rebellion. And this is what the people of Israel were doing, and this is what we sometimes do. Turn our back to the Lord, stop our ears up that we might not hear what the Lord has to say, and it provokes the Lord. Sometimes we go anywhere but to the Lord. When instead it should be that we go to the Lord God first with our struggles, first with our hardships, first with our sicknesses. Instead we go last to him. But this is a problem because the Lord knows what is going on in our lives. And the Lord knows what is going on in this king's bedroom. And he knows that this guy is on his sickbed and he knows who he's calling out to. But he knows this people of Israel are his chosen people called by his name to follow after him, and he will not let go of his people and turn them over to Baal. And so he sends Elijah to head off this messenger at the pass and tell him and ask him a question, which is a rhetorical question making a statement. Is there no God in Israel to ask this question of? What's the answer to that question? Yes. There is a God in Israel. Why are you not asking Him? Why are you going outside of the country to ask some other God? Why? Because you have rejected the Lord. There is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the beginning and the end. The Lord God is the creator of all things. He holds the keys of death and Hades in His hands. He is the good shepherd. He is the bread of life. He is the resurrected one, the wonderful counselor, mighty God everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and to the increase of His kingdom, there will be no end. This is the God that we serve. This is the true and living God. There is a living God. Amen. And those who do not want to hear the word of the Lord need to understand that there will come a day where they will be made to hear the word of the Lord. The Bible says that at some point there will be a day where Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And it's a picture of the end of all time where even those that turn their back and stop their ears and hate the Lord will recognize that he is king and their knees will be bent and they will recognize the glory of God the Father. So what is the message to Ahaziah? The message from Elijah to Ahaziah is that he's going to die. He wanted to know what was going to happen to him. Well, I'm going to tell you what's going to happen to you. You're not coming off of that sick bed. You're going to die on that bed. And he says, what kind of man was this in verse 7? What kind of man came to you and say such a bold, galling thing as that, that the king is going to die? That's not what I wanted to hear. They said, well, he's this guy dressed in this, this hairy garment with a leather belt around his waist. Ah, I know that guy. How do I know that guy? I know that guy from my father my father called him the enemy. He called him the troubler of Israel. His name is Elijah the Tishbite, which means he knew the ministry of Elijah. He knew who he was, but he rejected his ministry. He didn't want to hear what he had to say, and so he is enraged, and he issues an arrest warrant for Elijah. Take this 50 go out there and you haul him back here. You bring him back to me. I'm going to do whatever. I'm going to embarrass him, jail him. We don't know what he was planning on doing to Elijah, but whatever it was, it was to put Elijah in his place and make sure he knew who this king was. Well, he sends the 50, the first 50 out there in boldness. They tell him, come down off that hill. And he says, if I'm a man of God, fire is going to come down and burn you up. And fire falls out of the sky, burns these 50 guys up. And the next 50 guys come out there, and they say, they, get, they elevate their authority. They say, well, on the king's orders, come off that hill. And he calls down fire and burns the next 50 up. Well, the next, three, the, next, the next 50 that come out, the third captain, comes with a very different tone. And this is the tone that the Lord is looking for. If you've been in this church long, you hear me talk about this a lot, because humility is is what the Lord seeks in our hearts. He seeks that we bring ourselves low before him. And this third captain does that. He says, oh, if, if you will, oh man of God, please let my life and the life of these 50 servants be precious in your sight. A very different appeal than come down off that hill on my authority. They recognize, this man recognizes the authority of God, the authority of Elijah, and what is going on here, and he humbles himself. And it is radically important, And if you hear nothing else that I'm saying today, you need to hear that God is always merciful to those who are penitent and humble. The Lord is merciful to the penitent and to the humble. It is right for us to hear is right for him to honor Elijah as the one who speaks on behalf of the Lord and the Lord hears him and sees the attitude of his heart. (laughs) Having a good time in there. (laughs) Um, All right, glad kids ministry is going well. It's it's packed over here, by the way. it's important for us to see a connection between the New and the Old Testament here. In the Old Testament, it's, it's different because Elijah is a, is a prophet. He comes saying, thus saith the Lord. But there is a carryover from the Old Testament to the New Testament with honoring those who either minister the scriptures or serve well in the church as elders. 1 Timothy five seventeen and 19, Paul writes a little bit about this. And he writes saying this, Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. So the point of these passages, similar to what we see here with Elijah, is the seeking to honor those that serve well in the church, those that have not done anything wrong, but you just have a disagreement with them. And that you should not come and slander or speak against someone that is serving well in the church without actual grounds of accusation. And so if there is cause, then it will be borne out by witnesses because it cannot be hidden. The Lord will reveal what is going on. But other than that, there should be an honoring of those who serve the Lord well, both then and now. So Elijah comes down by the will of the Lord and the prompting of the Lord and goes with this third humble captain. And in verse 16, Elijah delivers this death sentence to Ahaziah. And what we should see in him delivering this to Ahaziah is that it is actually a chance for the repentance of Ahaziah. It's an opportunity for him to repent and for him to turn away from his sins because the Lord could have just judged him on the spot. He did not have to send someone all the way to his court to give him an opportunity because it is a public opportunity. It's an orchestrated opportunity by God because if Ahaziah turns away from his sins, he's going to be doing it publicly. He's going to publicly say, I was wrong. I should not have gone and sought Baal. There is a God in Israel, and I was wrong. And we do see some leaders in the Old Testament do that, but this is not what happens in this occasion. Ahaziah hardens his heart, and it says that according to the word of Elijah, he dies. He dies there on his bed, and he does not come up from it again, and his reign is less than two years long. But this should not surprise us, because in 1 Kings 21, 20 through 20, uh, 22, Uh, we saw that the Lord said, I'm going to bring to an end the house of Ahab. And it says here that when he died, it changed, that the kingdom changed into another family's name because he had no son. And so what the Lord said would happen did in fact happen exactly as he said it would and it should not surprise us. And so this is what happens in this story. But I wanna bring a couple of points of application to it that I think are very important before we move on. Three points. The first is to bring back what we talked about earlier, but to bring it into clear focus. We should go to the Lord with the desperate struggles of our life. You should go to the Lord with the desperate struggles of your life. I hope you will hear this this morning. Because this honors and recognizes the reality of the Lord. People see who we go to with the great struggles of our life. Our children see it. Our neighbors see it. Our co-workers see it. Who do you go to when you struggle? When people consistently see that you go to the Lord with your struggles, and they see how the Lord answers your prayers, it gives glory to God. Because people see what is happening. He has ears to hear. His arm is not too short to act. And so be careful in the struggles of your life to seek the Lord because there is a living God. Second is that we should seek healing from the Lord. So let's not oversee or overlook what is happening in this passage. This is a life or death, physical life or death passage. And this person is trying to reach out to an idol. Am I going to live or am I going to die? And I tell you that it is right for us to go to the Lord first and finally when it comes to issues of life and death and healing. The scripture never uh, turns us away from going and seeking medical help or seeking other things, but we should always seek the Lord first. And what do I mean by this? I mean that life and death are in the hands of the Lord. Life and death are in the hands of the Lord. There is an appointed day for each of us to die. You may not realize that, but God has a plan for your life. And he knows when your last day is going to be. And none will live longer than what the Lord has proclaimed or decided. And none who, upon whom the Lord has proclaimed death will live any longer. And so life and death are in the hands of the Lord. And when we go and pray and seek healing from the Lord, we are recognizing that reality and understanding that he is in charge. May we go and ask for him to be merciful May we go and seek these things from him, but then may we rest in his providence and in his sovereignty. And so we go seeking these things from the Lord. Third and finally, what should we make from this fire coming from the sky? I don't want to just pass over this. I realize this is a this is a big deal. And this is not written. as a a mythological story. This is written as history, as that which really happened. And so I think we have to wrestle with that a little bit. What is going on here? Is there any other Old Testament examples of something like this happening? In Numbers chapter 11, we do see the Lord bringing fire into the camp of the Israelites when they are—they just will not stop complaining against the Lord. The Lord's brought him out of Egypt, brought him out of slavery. He keeps doing miraculous thing after miraculous thing, providing for them, and they will not stop complaining and provoking him. And he sends fire as a, as a means of judgment upon them. We see it there in Numbers 11. We see it here in 2 Kings. But we don't see it anywhere else in the Old Testament specifically used in this way. But in the New Testament, we do see that the disciples understood what was happening here. When we look at Luke chapter 9, verses 51 through 56, we see something interesting. In Luke chapter 9, we see Jesus preaching in a small town, and with him are James and John. And when they preach in that town, they reject the word of Jesus. And they, they expel them from the town. And James and John say, Should we call down fire on these people for rejecting the message of Jesus? What story are they, do you think they're referring to? They're, re- they're referring to this story that we've looked at here this morning. They think they're going to take on the mantle of Elijah and somehow protect the honor of Jesus by calling down fire on these people that have rejected his message. But Jesus rebukes them. And he goes on to the next town and keeps preaching the gospel. Why? Because that is not a time for judgment. Now is not a time for judgment. Now is a time for preaching the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that people might be forgiven of their sins. Jesus did not come to destroy the wicked, but came to seek and to save the lost. And it was time for him to go and preach the good news of the forgiveness of sins, that people might be forgiven and might experience the mercy of the Lord. And I am calling for you today in that same way, If your back is turned towards the Lord, turn your face towards the Lord. If you've got your fingers in your ears doing the best you can to not hear the word of the Lord, take your fingers out. Listen to what God is saying. Come humbly as this third captain did. Humble yourself before the Lord. Have your sins forgiven and experience the grace of the Lord Jesus. But I want to remind you that there will come a time when the preaching of the gospel will be over. And there will come a time when fire will fall again, and this is expressed very clear to us in Second Peter chapter three verses one through thirteen. And this is where we're going to end today. Second Peter chapter three verses one through thirteen. And you're going to see in this passage sort of everything we've talked about today come together: the seeking of the lost and the mercy of God extended, and yet the real judgment of God coming, and also the calling of how should we live today in the difficult situations of our life because uh, or in light of who God is. So Second Peter 3 1 through 13 says this, this is now the second letter that I am writing to you beloved In both of them I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. Knowing this first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days scoffing, following their own sinful desires. Verse 4, they will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlook this fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of the Lord. And that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. That's the flood of Noah, verse 7. But by the same word, the heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as a day. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of the Lord, the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. And so this is a warning from Peter in the latter parts of the Bible that there will come a time where the preaching of the good news is finished because the Lord has been seeking and is seeking now that people repent of their sins, seeking that all should come to repentance. But upon the appointed time of the Lord, there will be a final judgment, and it will not be by water, but it will be by fire, and it will usher in the new heavens and a new earth. And so until that time and today and this week, let us consider what Peter says, what sort of people ought we to live in holiness and godliness waiting for this day and for this time to come? May you turn your face to the Lord. May you confess your sins to Christ and have life. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this morning, and I thank you for this passage. It's an, it's an unusual passage, an important passage, and may it ring in our ears and we never forget that there is a living God We must go to you with the great struggles of our lives and the things that trouble us the most. We must not turn to other things and leave you off to the end. Lord, I pray that we would be convinced of your reality this morning, that our belief would be true and strong and that we would go to the Lord in humility and there find mercy and grace. I pray, Lord, for each of the people that are to be baptized here in a moment and I thank you for their faith that they have believed that Jesus is Lord. They go to you and they seek your face that they might live for you. I thank you for this father that is setting an example for his children and I pray blessings upon them today on the day of their baptism. Lord Jesus, we love you. We are baptized to remember your death and burial and resurrection and are joining with you in those things. We thank you for your work in our midst and we pray God that you would continue that work. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.